Those who know me, I'm a nobody. You understand? And you can't kill a person with no body. So, why am I afraid? I'm not afraid. I'm afraid of Welcome to God is Open. I'm your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on God is Open, we are going to be responding to this uh, Southern Israelite, which that, that's kind of a misnomer. He calls himself an Israelite. Uh, Israelite is an ancient people group with an ancient Semitic religion, and he does not have an ancient Semitic religion. He definitely has a Platonistic-based religion. He, For example, he argues that Psalms 139 is good evidence that God has ungenerated eternal knowledge of all things inherent in his own being that's the type of omniscience that this guy believes in and he thinks that psalms 139 is good evidence of that in this very video we'll get to that so i've skimmed this video a little bit uh, we'll go over it but uh, his contention is that christopher fisher that would be me i'm christopher fisher his contention is christopher fisher does not know greek philosophy my contention is a little bit different uh, my contention is that, what's your name again? Southern Israelite. My contention is Southern Israelite cannot read. He's got problems reading things. Like he reads something and maybe there's a little bit of cognition there, but it's lacking. He's missing. He's, he needs to read it again. He needs, needs to read maybe. Uh, he seems public schooled. And so maybe he should like sixth grade. They have those reading classes. That's the one he should take. But let's take it away and see what he says about me. All right, doing a doing a breakdown of the work of Christopher Fisher and the open theist um, ignorance on Greek philosophy. Yet again, we have people on the internet destroying the lives of young men. That's what I'm known as. They, they call me the destroyer of lives. Uh, and so that, that's better than my other thing I'm known as, sleepy dad. It's like dad's always sleeping on the couch. That would be me too. Uh, but uh, destroyer of lives, I'll take that. That's a pretty good descriptor of me. Uh, so thank you, Mr. Southern Israelite man. Claiming to know Greek philosophy. And here we have another one. Claiming to know Greek philosophy. I don't know if I ever specifically made that claim anywhere. Typically, when I talk about Greek philosophy, I quote all my sources. And so people could go look to see if what I'm saying is true because it's, it's right there. And uh, I don't think any of these experts disagree with me, especially not the authors of all the different books that I quote on the Platonization of Christianity. It's a pretty sure thing that everyone agrees with, except for random Internet people. I'm not out of the mainstream here. I'm not out of the mainstream. Named Christopher Fisher on the internet. He thinks he knows Greek philosophy and he doesn't. And like many people, um, on, the, on these like right, hard right patriot organizations, this Hebrew roots movement and whatnot, you got guys who think they know Greek philosophy rejecting the New Testament because it sounds to them like Greek philosophy. All right, so I gotta pause you there. A lot of times when you're dealing with people in in talking about actual Platonism, what Platonism is, you come across people who are terrible human beings. I mean, you can't have an honest conversation with them. You say, "Well, 
well, this is this and this and this and this is Platonism. And they'll say, no, that's Neoplatonism. Wake up. Uh, Neoplatonism is a subcategory of Platonism. The Neoplatonists, in fact, believed that they were being faithful and accurate to Plato. They were just regurgitating his own thoughts in different ways. They did not like to be novel. They did not like to be new. They did not think that they were making up new things to add on top of that. Uh, Justin Martyr, I was talking to this uh, this guy the other day who had a degree in philosophy, and he said, I, I told him, your views are Platonism. And he responded to me, he's like, Plato was a demonotheist. <laughs> well, well, first of all, one thing doesn't have anything to do with the other. So what we'll see with this uh, Southern Israelite guy, exactly what we saw with that guy, they, they make, they say their arguments, that they're not refuting anything I said. If it doesn't matter if Plato was a monotheist or a polytheist, it doesn't matter. My argument still stands. What is Platonism? What is the core of Platonism? What does it teach? And that's that's the crucial thing. The funny thing is, Justin Martyr argues, Justin Martyr, the former Platonist, who was a Platonist, Justin Martyr argues that Plato was a monotheist in the same sense that Moses was. That, that is what they believe about Plato. So, oh, I guess, I guess all these people are wrong. All these ancient uh, people who were legit, Platonists in the past and all the things they believed about Plato were wrong and and it's that but you internet person uh, Southern Israelite, but I'm curious Let, Let's figure out how I'm refuted what I said that was so wrong that he could show me This is what Chris Fisher said that is definitely wrong. So take it away But when you actually test their knowledge of Greek philosophy, they don't know Greek philosophy <sighs> This is why our ancestors believed, if you that read the Westminster Directory for Worship and other um, parts of the Westminster Standards, uh, if you were going to be publicly teaching religion, you had to be licensed by the state. And there were a number of requirements. You had to be proficient in multiple languages. You had to be proficient in um, ancient Greek philosophy. And um, you were you were tested by professionals on these issues before you came out in public and started uh, speaking your opinions out in public. Which Pause. Yale professor, a biblical scholar, Christine Hayes. Five common misconceptions about the Bible. The character Yahweh in the Hebrew Bible should not be confused with the God of Western theological speculation generally referred to as God. The attributes assigned to God by, by post-biblical theologians such as omniscience, omniscience and immutability are simply not attributes possessed by the character Yahweh as drawn in biblical narratives. Indeed, on several occasions, Yahweh is explicitly described as changing his mind because when it comes to human beings, his learning curve is steep. Humans have free will. They act in ways that surprise him and he must change tract and respond. One of the greatest challenges for modern readers of the Hebrew Bible is to allow the text to mean what it says. When what is said flies in the face of doctrines that emerge centuries later from philosophical debates about the abstract category of God. Oh, Christine Hayes. Oh, oh, you are you. You must be ignorant. Uh, this guy could teach you a thing or two about uh, biblical scholarship. He could teach you a thing or two about philosophy. Oh man, uh, it's funny when my I'm just. I just want for Christmas, uh, if someone could get me like a, an intellectual critic, someone who 
who's actually smart about uh, history, uh, philosophy, Christianity. One of those types of peoples. Those are those are the I, I always get the critics who don't know what they're talking about and they can't read. As as our contention is today that this Southern Israelite guy just can't read. I mean, I mean, he sounds like he could put together a coherent sentence. But I'm telling you, his reading skills are just not there. There should be a state-run church, and it should require people to be licensed to <laughs> speak in public because of these very things right here, folks. This, oh, this guy right here, Christopher Fisher, has destroyed the lives of many young men. That's what I Because of, he thinks I'm he knows Greek philosophy, and he destroying doesn't. Destroying them all. I just, and he's destroyed their lives because I, of his I ignorance. so terrible. So let's, oh, let's get into it. My dumbness is spreading. This article I wrote last night. Well, now we know where Inescapable Reality title came from. Mr. Christopher Fisher, Dunning-Kruger extraordinaire, author of God is Open, and owner of the blog, wait for it, reality is not optional. It's not okay? optional, my friend. So where does this guy Inescapable Reality get his name from? Obviously, it's this dude here. Reality is not optional. Inescapable Reality. No doubt a further reservoir of meme magic and endless face palms. The atmosphere is thick. As for the task at hand, we are dealing with his article, The Greek Origin of Omniscience. Okay, The Greek Origin of Omniscience. Okay. All right. This is yeah. the article right here if you want to. Let's go into it. Go through it on his, uh, on his blog. Um, yeah. So what's my argument? So uh, this is what he says. Quote, the concept of omniscience is rooted in the idea of God's perfection. In Platonism, again, in Platonism, the perfect cannot change. Thus, if God changed, such as learning new information, then God would not be perfect. We're, we're going to find out. That actually, the when you're when you're talking about your sense of the word perfect and yeah, so that, that, that's just point to our latest episode on the omniscience of Jesus. Ambrose makes this claim. Ambrose makes this point that any if Jesus were to be gaining knowledge, that would that would be a deprivation. He, he would uh, he would be getting better. Yeah, a gain of knowledge would mean he wasn't the best at first. And this is a common claim we see throughout the early church. It's ubiquitous. This is the type of knowledge that they argued, and it's coming from this idea that gaining knowledge would mean a deficient God. Turning to Pantaeus. He says this, Accordingly, when asked by some who prided themselves on outside learning in what way the Christians suppose God to become acquainted with the universe, their own opinion being that he obtains his knowledge in different ways of things falling within the province of his understanding by means of the understanding or of those within the reign of the senses by means of the senses, they replied, Neither does he gain acquaintance with sensible things by the senses nor with things within the sphere of that understanding by the understanding for it is not possible that he who is above all existing things should apprehend them by means of existing things. We assert, on the contrary, that he is acquainted with existing things as the products of his own volition. This is inherent, ungenerated knowledge that's being argued here. And it's coming from this place of God is above being. God is above the realm of the senses. God can't be gaining information from outside himself to himself. This is Platonism, uh, that the perfect doesn't change, that the simple doesn't change, that the simple can't create these complex relationships. This is Platonism. So where's your money on? Is it on this guy's going to try to argue something I never claimed? 
or go off on this weird tangent about something that's irrelevant to my overall argument, or that he's going to accurately and honestly address my claims. All right, uh, Southern Israelite, take it away. We're going to find out that actually the when you're when you're talking about your sense of the word perfect and changeless, that's only referring to the ideas, and the the demiurge is actually below the ideas, and he is in every context associated with material reality so that's just not true omniscience then is an extension of so what what did he say is not true he stated that in plato the perfections referring to the demiurges is is that is that even something that i'm arguing here i'm arguing that perfection is a platonic value and this is how this value has been applied and used uh, he's he's not really arguing against that, is he? He's arguing, I don't know who he's arguing with. It's it's not me. Platonistic musings on perfection. Okay. Now you're you let let's wait. Is he going to actually give us the citations in Plato about omniscience? Because Plato's Plato discusses omniscience in great detail, and exactly how omniscience is gained, and what subject attains omniscience. And it isn't God. It is not the Demiurge. Again, is, is that relevant at all to my article? Do I talk about that at all? Or is this something else? It, it does, does that even have any bearing to the article I wrote? You're going to find out that this guy is lost in his own little world. He's arguing with himself uh, against some article that apparently exists somewhere in his own mind. And it has nothing to do with some internal, simple power of God. It's nothing to do with that whatsoever. Omniscience, then, is an extension of Platonistic musings on perfection. Christianity, early in its infancy, adopted these notions of perfection, and with it an idea of omniscience in which God's knowledge does not change. This is why there is such great objection to open theists who want to redefine omniscience to mean knowing all things current. I mean, David talks about, you know, God, you know my thought afar off and are acquainted with all my ways. How? How? What's the mechanism? Oh, Southern Israelite, open your Bible. Maybe you could read that and figure out what the mechanism is. In what way does God know what? Uh, th those are two crucial questions if you're going to argue that that's an evidence for omniscience. Oh, but, oh, but you proved it to me. That little, those little phrases, they mean eternal, ungenerated knowledge of all things from time eternal. Oh man, I, I don't, I don't get the most brilliant opponents. I don't. Uh, Southern Israelites, uh, uh, you might want to try again, my friend. God has makes prophecies. Ridiculous uh, definition. God made prophecies. Redefining. Uh, God, God made pro. Oh. Yeah, that has proved it to me. Oh, man. It's not like that there's prophecies that don't come true throughout the Bible. Uh, 40 days and Nineveh is going to be overthrown. Oh, that prophecy didn't come true. And then they'll be like, but there are reasons for that. Like, what? There's reasons that the prophecy didn't come true when you're arguing that prophecy is the reason that we know God knows all the future? Uh, um, uh, again, again, oh, I'm just... I'm just asking for a good opponent, a good critic, someone who's who's honest, who can read. Uh, reading uh, that might be like a a basic skill that I might be going for in an opponent, a critic, maybe. Omniscience to allow God's knowledge to change divorces omniscience from its roots in Platonistic perfection. 
I replied, interesting, seeing the good is not an omniscient being in Plato. Uh, but oh man that that totally has anything to do with anything i said okay go on that as was i arguing contrary to that was i arguing these are plato's idea omniscience was directly taught by plato in an exact manner that was directly adopted or or was platonism uh widespread in the ancient world and there were known known systems of Platonism, Neoplatonism, and Middle Platonism, in which this type of change of requiring uh, knowledge was off the table, and it was abhorrent. And not only that, but I quote, I quote uh, early Christians or Christian church fathers using these types of arguments. I quote Philo of Alexandria. I think I quote Clement in this article. I don't know. He hasn't scrolled down very much. He, he it would have done him well to read my article before starting to respond to it so he could look at my evidence of the Platonization of Christianity. These are Platonic values. These are these are not Semitic values. You don't find in the Bible, there's not going to be an in-depth discussion of, well, the perfect uh, does not change, and, and if the perfect were to gain anything onto itself, it, it wouldn't have been perfect in the first place, and, and uh, that would suggest that that original object had some sort of deficiency because you're gaining new things. And and uh, uh, gaining things implies parts and change. And uh, that means it's not the ultimate substance. This is, this is not, this is not biblical theology. It's not in the Old Testament, not in the New Testament. No author of the Bible was a Platonist. And the highest idea or form. Okay, the good or the perfect, the way he's using it, is actually an idea in the in the in the heavenly, you know, the upper world. That's the way that Plato describes the good or the perfect. It's not some omniscient being. It's not. Oh yeah, so some sects of Plato um, they argued certain characteristics that other sects of Plato argued against and they all drew on Plato as their their proof text. They're like it's kinda of like Christianity in the Bible, where you you'll have people, you'll have open theists, and you'll have this guy, a Platonist, and uh, we'll read the same data and the same evidence and we'll come to different conclusions about what the data says. But no, uh, we got this guy here, um, ancient uh, Israelite dude, Southern Israelite uh, we got Southern Israelite to tell us the true reading of Plato, that all those Middle and Neoplatonists, oh, they obviously didn't know what the heck they were talking about. All those Neoplatonist Christians in uh, in the book, the Neoplatonists or the Platonists of Alexandria, I think the author describes Clement of Alexandria as the first Neoplatonist. Oh, a believing, practicing Christian is the protogenitor of Neoplatonism. Not a, it's not uh, the, it's not the demiurge. The demiurge is actually below uh, the ideas, so that's all erroneous. Um, omnis- <laughs> I, th- I think I have in my uh, my talk on uh, Plotinus. I have my podcast on Plotinus, and I think I actually cover these exact facts there. And so, not only does my article have nothing to do with this, he's responding to something like like what sentence of mine is false. Point to a sentence and tell me how that sentence is false. Uh, read the sentence first. Uh, if, if you find a sentence that where I say Plato taught the one is omniscient in all respects, and then, then you can refute it. 
then you could say, no, Plato didn't teach that the one is omniscient in all respects. Don't argue with someone who doesn't exist. It's a bad thing to do. Uh, just, just basic reading comprehension. is that, That's all I'm asking. Omniscience is an attribute of the disembodied soul, the doctrine of reminiscence or recollection. Okay? So this is from Plato's Mino. Uh, where I'm getting this from is the Dialogues of Plato by Jowett. Let me check my audio on my video real quick, make sure it's coming through good. The open state. Yeah. Again, nothing to do with anything I wrote, but to go ahead. And the ancient Greek. Yeah, that's fine. All right. So you can see uh, the dialogues of Plato by B. Jowett, uh, master of Balliol College, University of Oxford. This is volume three, and I'm on page 2627. And this is Socrates speaking. Plato is giving his own views through Socrates. That's the way he lays out his dialogues. Where, where do you get that from? Where, where is this idea? Uh, like, here's, here's the funny thing. So, so I was talking to this Calvinist the other day, and he's like, Plato, he was a polytheist. It's like, in what way was he a polytheist? Did he not believe in the one? Uh, how did he see the pantheon of gods? Did he, did, or were they actual? Did, did they uh, exhibit the same features that you would see in Homer's, the Iliad, the Odyssey? Of course, they don't answer that. They, they like to do this like fake superiority thing. Like, you should answer all my questions because I'm the knowledgeable one. And uh, they don't like, they, they just like to be condescending. They think that being condescending is, is, is how arguments work. Like you win the argument if you're condescending. And so it's a typical thing you see in Calvinists. And so we're dealing with it when you, when they think that the being condescending is an actual argument, like the Southern is like, I think we're dealing with the same type of cultists that these Calvinists are. I think this guy might be a Calvinist. I don't know anything about this guy. Uh, but he seems to think like one. But again, Justin Martyr, Justin Martyr argued that Plato was a monotheist. Why, O oh scholar of Plato? Oh, why would Justin Martyr argue that, uh, yeah, although Plato might have wrote about the gods, that he was a monotheist? Tell us why. Did, did he accept all your assumptions of, of how you read all these texts, that it's a one-for-one -one correlation? Whatever Socrates says, uh, and some people say Socrates, I don't know. I always say Socrates. Uh, however, whatever Socrates says, one-to-one -one ratio, that's exactly what Plato thought, uh, with no nuances, no divergences. Uh, there's, there's, no, there's no nuance, no nuance, right? And so th this is the type of people we're dealing with. But I'll give you the answer. I'll give you the answer since uh, we're on the subject. Uh, Justin Martyr thought that Plato was a monotheist and he just talked about these other gods uh, because he was basically placating the masses. Like, uh, you know, you, uh, you know, this is this is the popular belief. So I'm going to actually talk in these categories, although I don't really believe this. And these guys have been known for putting to death people for, you know, disparaging on the gods, you know. And so he thought it was a, a self-motivated a preservation instinct that was kicking in in Plato. Oftentimes when we're talking about uh, mystery cults, mystery religions, secret knowledge, a lot of writings are are put in and you have to decode them. You, you have to read into them. They're, they're not meant to be uh, taken 
at a one-to-one -one ratio seriously, and you're supposed to understand the secret knowledge that's behind the words rather than a face value reading. That's often how these ancient writings are written because they were very protective of their knowledge. Uh, but go on, Mr. Scholar of Plato, who thinks that Socrates is a one-to-one -one ratio to Plato or something like that. I don't know what your argument is. But uh, this is this is all on this sidetracked point that has nothing to do with anything I wrote. And so go on, Israelite, tell us, tell us all about this. Socrates. Some of them were priests and priestesses who have studied how they might be able to give a reason of their profession. There have been poets also, such as the poet Pindar and other inspired men, and what they say is, mark now and see whether their words are true. They say that the soul of man is immortal, and at one time he has an end, which is termed dying, and another time is born again, but is never destroyed. And the moral is that man ought to live always in perfect holiness. For in the ninth year, Persephone sends the souls of those from whom she has received the penalty of ancient crime back again into the light of this world. And these are they who become noble kings and mighty men and great in wisdom and are called saintly heroes in after ages. The soul then, as being immortal and having been born again many times and having seen all things that there are, whether in this world or in the world below, has knowledge of them all. Okay, so where where's knowledge coming from? Where where is omniscience coming from? It's coming from the from the immortal soul who has contact with the heavenly forms, and this immortal soul has lived a countless number of past lives. So I'm going to give you a parallel to to what just happened here. Let's pretend we're talking about the Bible, and I say God knows everything in the Bible, and He says. No, that's incorrect because do, 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 do. Ecclesiastes 1.14 I have seen all the works that are done under the sun and indeed all is vanity and grasping for wind. Then uh, Ecclesiastes 4.1 Again, I saw all oppressions that are done under the sun. And, he, and this is how he, he would argue against me saying that God knows all things in the Bible. He'd say, no, look here. It says man knows all things. See, man knows all things and he knows it by seeing it. See, it's like what that not not only does that have nothing to do with anything I said, uh, but that's that's not even the issue. We're we're not talking about uh, the demi urge. We're not talking about the spirit. We're not talking about man. We're we're talking about God. We're talking about the one, and one doesn't preclude the other. So let's say someone, uh, the guy, the writer of Ecclesiastes, say he have, has omniscience. That does not preclude God from having omniscience. That that's. It's a non sequitur. It doesn't work. It, it It's not a rational argument, so I don't know what he's doing here. It doesn't make sense to me. Okay, so so the omniscience is not is not some internal power of the soul. That, uh, that omniscience is something that it gains. What uh, a being that's not the one doesn't have eternal, ungenerated knowledge? Oh, wow, I am so shocked that any Platonist would hold that view. Uh, I was totally under the pressure that that created uh, non-eternal, non-simple beings, definitely had ungenerated knowledge in their mind. I, what? Who, who are you? I, I, what, who are we dealing with? What is this guy? So the internet's filled with all sorts of lunatics. So you're, you're going to run across people from time to time that, that, that don't have any basis in rationality. Yeah, they, 
they they're they're not operating on an intellectual level. They're they're operating in their own world. I don't know what gives. It's from without. Okay. And it is no wonder that she should be able to call to remembrance all that she ever knew about virtue and about everything. For as all nature is akin and the soul has learned all things. Okay, so there, there's a, in Plato, there's a soul that learns all things. Not relevant to anything I said, not refuting any, there's zero sentences of mine that you can find that that refutes. Um, you go look sentence by sentence through what I wrote. Um, there's nothing I wrote that's wrong because this fact exists. It's just, I think we should need to fast forward because this is just tedious. He's just reading Plato and he thinks he's making a point. This, this is what's real funny to me. He thinks in his own mind that he's responding to me and refuting something I said. What, what sentence? What did I say that you're refuting? Where? All right. So we fast forwarded through all him reading all of that. I, irrelevant to the overall argument. And this is going to be a trend. This has been our trend. This is evidence towards my hypothesis that our friend here, Mr. Southern Israelite, he cannot read. Yeah, he, he's missing some comprehension skills. Notice in Plato's construction that the omniscient soul is not omniscient independently or simply, but derives its knowledge from external sources, utterly contradicting the Calvinistic understanding of God's foreknowledge. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, what, what are you proving there? That there's, in Plato, some generated beings that uh, are not the one they're not perfectly simple, and then they learn all things, just like the Ecclesiastes writer, just like King David is said to know all things. Is is that what we're doing here? Is 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 that a, is is that an argument? Are, who are you arguing against? What what are you what are you proving? So Christopher Fisher is utterly refuted. <laughs> uh, Fisher, which sentence? Which sentence did I write that's refuted? All right, so if you're going to refute me, you grab a sentence of mine and then tell me how that sentence is wrong. Uh, having ungenerated knowledge, we've read the quotes, we read their reasoning, uh, we flip back to the Jesus Omniscience Ambrose sermon in which he talks about how Jesus would uh, be degraded if he were to have ever gained knowledge at any point. This Platonic reasoning is why they believe that this type of omniscience is necessary. This ungenerated eternal knowledge in an eternally simple, undefined, uh, ineffable, outside of time, perfectly simple, no parts. There's there's no relationships. There's there's no dependencies. You can say nothing about the one. This concept is what's driving these notions of omniscience that we find plaguing Christian systematic theologies as I quote. And uh, I, I quote them in my very article that he quotes. Scripture continues, quote, Modern Christians often say the following, Even reason teaches us that no change is possible in God, since a change is either for better or for worse. But in God, as the absolute perfection, improvement and deterioration are both equally impossible. This is from the most popular systematic theology book today, Systematic Theology by Louis Burkhoff. This reasoning is ubiquitous in Christianity. So just strip out all his commentary so far and just think about what he's read so far of my article. What has been my argument? That this ungenerated omniscience is Platonistic because it's based in this perfect being theology in which the perfect can't gain anything to itself. 
I pulled up the article real quick so we can follow along. And we we're only on like the first paragraph or so. I quote modern Christians using this line of reasoning. Then I quote Plato in multiple ways using this line of reasoning, uh, depending on Platonic perfection. In Platonism, a change is bad. Change is degradation. Change is the enemy. Walter Patter has this book, Plato and Platonism, and he has this paragraph that talks about this this revulsion against mobility. He says, Mobility, we do not think that a necessarily undesirable condition of life, of mind, of the physical world around us. Tis the dead things, we may remind ourselves, that after all are most entirely at rest and might reasonably hold that motion, vicious, fallacious, infectious motion, as Plato inclines to think, covers all that is best worth being. So he's saying here that we ourselves, we might be hardwired to think that things that move have motion, things that are dynamic, those are the best things in life. But Plato, Plato's got a different idea. And as for philosophy, mobility, versatility, the habit of thought that can most adequately follow the subtle movement of things, that surely where the secret of wisdom, of the true knowledge of them, it means susceptibility, sympathetic intelligence, capacity. In short, it was the Spirit of God that moved, moved still, in every form of real power everywhere. I, I like how that is worded. Uh, the, the Spirit of God moves across the face of the water in Genesis 1. This movement, dynamicism, is a fundamental characteristic of Yahweh. Yahweh is the living God. He's not dead, static, stone. Those, those are not, those are not the value set that's attributed to God. In fact, what God is called a rock, it, it's it's about power, able to oppose forces that are coming against His people. He responds and reacts and brings power to bear against changes in the world. God is a dynamic God in the Bible. Yet, going back to the book, yet to Plato, motion becomes the token of unreality in things, of falsity in our thoughts about them. It is just this principle of mobility in itself so welcome to all of us that with all his contriving care for the future, he desires to withstand everywhere he displays himself as an advocate of the immutable. Immutability a deadness, a staticness, unchangingness. These are Platonic values. This is the Platonic mindset. This is what the early church fathers, they really truly cared about, especially in the quotes that we've already read. We see this abounding, especially and decisively in the Gnostics. The Gnostics were the earliest protogeners of this type of thought, this type of speech. Eugnostos. This is one of the Gnostic texts that I read in full. I recorded that for anyone to listen to in, in audio format. Important document. He who is ineffable. Ineffable, is, is that a biblical value? Where is this value coming from? Definitely not the Bible. So think, where is he getting these ideas? Where are they being derived from? What, what system of philosophy cares about ineffability? I'll give you a hint. It starts with Plato. Yeah, that's the start of it. I'm not saying that uh, that's exactly what Plato argues anywhere, but Platonism, Platonism argues this. This is a Platonic value. No principle knew him, no authority, no subjection, nor any creature from the foundation of the world except for he alone. He 
is immortal and eternal, having no birth. For everyone who has had birth will perish. He is unbegotten, having no beginning. For everyone who has beginning has end. No one rules over him. He has no name. For whoever has a name is a creation of another. Ineffability. Look at that. Does does Yahweh Yahweh does Yahweh have a name in the Bible? I think I think God has a name. I think He's got a name. He is unnameable. He has no human form. For whoever has human form is the creation of another. Is that is that a is that a biblical value? Do they care about this enough to just describe God with form throughout the Bible ubiquitously? Uh, and this this is this is what Christianity devolves into, where where, where not only does the normal normative speech about God. Yeah, it's rejected, but it's also considered heretical to talk that way about God. It's thrown out. Their philosophy says that this is impossible. These things are impossible. He has his own semblance, not like the semblance we have received and seen, but a strange semblance that surpasses all things and is better than the totalities. It looks to every side and sees itself from itself. He is infinite. He is incomprehensible. He is imperishable and has no likeness to anything. He is unchanging good. Unchanging good. Huh. I wonder, I wonder where that value is coming from. That doesn't sound like a biblical value. Yes, God's good in the Bible. Unchanging good. Huh. Faultless, faultless, tied to unchanging, hmm, he's everlasting, he's blessed, he's unknowable, while he is nonetheless knows himself, he is immeasurable, he is untraceable, he is perfect, having no defect. What? Perfect, no defect? That sounds, sounds a little bit like the thesis that we're talking about right now. He is imperishably blessed. He is called father of the universe. Remember, Augustine said the Bible was absurd until he read it in light of Platonism. In light of Platonism. So we got to sit back and we got to think about this. What attributes of the Bible were so detestable to Augustine and what Platonic value sets did he import onto the text to supplant what the Bible actually says? We don't have to look too far. He explains it. Augustine explains his reasoning for rejecting the Bible in favor of Platonism. He explains the value set that he adopts. Augustine. But having then read those books of the Platonists and being admonished by them to search for incorporeal truth, incorporeal truth, I saw your invisible things. He saw his invisible things. Understood by those that are made and though repulsed, I perceived what that was, which through the darkness of my mind, I was not allowed to contemplate a surety that you were and were infinite and yet not diffused in space or finite or infinite. And that thou truly are, and you are the same ever, varying neither in part nor motion, and that and that all other things are from you on this most sure ground alone that they are. Wow, that so Platonic values of immutability, perfection. He says the Bible was absurd until I read it in light of Platonistic values, which I will then list out, which are the values that I refer to in my article. I'm not saying anything controversial. I'm not saying anything that scholarly people would disagree with. Oh, I, I, don't, I don't know why this has to be so difficult. I, I don't. But we'll go on. Apparently, apparently, he's, he's got some more points. Everywhere from gotquestions.org to refutations of open theism. This line of reasoning comes straight from Plato and is nowhere found in the pages of the Bible. To Plato, God would... 
Yeah, are, are you stop? Is that true? Is the sentence true? D is there that idea anywhere in the Bible? And is the first reference to that in Plato? And did we just read Augustine say that that's where he got that idea and he incorporated it into Christianity because the Bible was absurd when he read it at face value without that value? Did we just read that? Hmm? Oh man, we're only uh, like... 11 minutes into this video. I don't know how much longer we're going to go. It was immutable because any change would be for the worse. And this is a quotation that he's making from, from the Republic. Okay. Quote, But surely God and the things of God are in every way perfect. Skip of course they are. Notice what his citation is missing. The statement that God is omniscient. Nowhere does this say God is omniscient. Is that my argument? Is that my argument? Did I try to make that argument somewhere? Oh, man. I'm dealing with someone, literally, who cannot read. So uh, if you're going to respond to someone, at least know what their argument is. Uh, read their argument. And uh, if you can't find it, here's the thing to do. Go, go sentence by sentence and see which sentences you disagree with. You could actually do a little diagram of the argument. It's not hard to do. You could even... You can even ask them what their argument is in a simpler form uh, in, in, before you embarrass yourself, maybe. That that might be the thing to do. All right, we're at about 12 minutes. Uh, I'll, I'll make sure that we're not missing anything from the remaining parts of this. But uh, I just thought it was funny. Uh, I think this guy, is, he's, he's a typical person that you come across who, who think they know Platonism. And they think they're, they're smarter than they actually are. And uh, they really, they really just lack basic reasoning skills, reading comprehension skills. They seem very adverse to engaging in any sort of honest dialogue. And so uh, they, they use these, these techniques to try to say, oh, you just don't know what you're talking about. And then they, they throw out a lot of information as if their information is relevant. And they, they tend to not understand what's going on, the points at hand. And they think just because they got references and they're adding references to the discussion that they're adding anything unique, new, or relevant. It's not always the case. Do I think this guy uh, has read Plato? Yeah. Do I think he understands Plato? Yeah. Do I think he understands the legacy of Platonism and the key value sets that were imparted into Christianity in this widely scholarly held idea that Christianity was Platonized? I don't think he does. I don't, I don't think he's read any literature. I pointed to some of the books that we already talked about, the Christian Platonists of Alexandria, the Edwin Hatch's Greek influences on the Christian church. There's just, it's just everywhere, everywhere. I don't know any scholar who doesn't think that Christianity wasn't Platonized except for pundits. They're the only ones. They're the only ones. So if someone's trying to feed you that that bill of lies, um, that <laughs> it's not the scholarly opinion. They're going to have to prove their case. They're going to have to prove that ungenerated eternal knowledge is in this immutable, ineffable God. And that's the value set of the writers of the Bible. It's not there. All right. So we had two contentions. Uh, he contended that I uh, don't understand Platonism. And I contended that he can't read. And so it's up to the audience. Uh, you guys can vote on it. I don't know how to make a poll or anything on uh, YouTube, but uh, you guys can vote on it. Uh, who was correct? Uh, one, both, neither uh, in, in their hypothesis and who showed 
through evidence that their hypothesis was true. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>